Hello and welcome to the Koi Tank Podcast. Today we have my brother, Kaysen Best, joining us. He is a West Point graduate, a captain in the Army, and once again, a fantastic human being. So enjoy. You ready to go? I'm ready to go. Cool. Um, I guess we can do a quick like background on your life a little bit before we get into the deep philosophical stuff. Let's um, do it. Are we live right now? Yeah. Do you have anything cool. special to say to begin with? No, thanks for having me. <laughs> you're already like, it already sounds like you're taking it seriously. Like it's Heck a, yeah. it's a, this is a coin tank. It's going to, it's going to reach millions one day. <laughs> one day. I'm, yeah. And then it's going to be incriminated on me. So did you ever watch, be... did you ever watch the midnight gospel? Any of the episodes? Uh, no, but I understand the theme of it somewhat. Yeah, Very so, well, Clancy's space cast, like the podcast thing, he's got like six followers or whatever, and he's like, you six people? Like, this is who I'm doing it for. Like, you guys rock. Heck yeah. So I have six people. You gotta that... start somewhere. Yeah, you just gotta take care of your computer so it doesn't break down in your <laughs> podcast. Exactly, um start with tennis i guess you want to talk about tennis at all (laughs) sure yeah i never even think about it until somebody brings it up so yeah what do you want to talk about i mean almost all the memories yeah like most of the memories i have of you growing up have to do with tennis in some way like even like traveling with you to all those like competitions and regional stuff so what was that like? Well, actually, okay, cool. Yeah, I have a great first story to start it off with the tennis career. And it has to do with you. And <laughs> when you were like nine months old, we were playing tennis at uh, Richland Country Club. And you're in your little baby carrier. Do you know the story? Yeah. <laughs> yep. This is a good start. So you were probably like nine months old, which means I was like eight and a half or whatever. Something like that. Yeah, probably around there. And you were dropped on your head out of a baby carrier on a tennis court. And yeah, that's how you became the way you became. That's like the origin story. Probably. That's how you get your superpowers. Yeah, probably knocked some sense into me. Perhaps. <laughs> or the opposite. I could be like, I could have been the next like Elon Musk or something and then it killed a bunch know, of brain cells and now I'm just mediocre. Well, that's why I had that soft spot on your head. Soft that spot? That exact thing. No, I'm just <laughs> no um yeah that's it's crazy to think about back in the day i don't even really even think about tennis in that alter life at all until somebody brings it up and then it just kind of floods with memories but uh yeah played a moderately severe <laughs> tennis in that it was my entire life for about a decade um sorry about that you're good i'll turn that off um all right, now we're good. Now we're ready. Yeah, played tennis for like a decade, starting seriously, probably at 10. And uh, you probably got to see that growing up. And it probably, you know, altered your your life as well as it did mine in a little bit. But uh, it was freaking nuts, dude. Like playing tennis three, four hours a day, 350 days a year. Like you shake your head and, you know, there's some good things that came out of it. But uh, it's definitely interesting. And uh, honestly, I feel like, thankful that i escaped that world a little bit 
um, and was able to change my path in ways because it's uh, if it's a passion, fantastic. You know, just like anything else, is that if that's your one thing you want to do with your life, then heck yeah, it's pretty cool to find that at age ten. But I think for most people, uh, you know, that thing that they put all of their heart and soul into for even a decade, especially when you're a kid and you don't even really have a choice um, as to know like what you want to do, it uh, it can be a dead end for a lot of people. And I'm just very thankful that it wasn't. That being said, I learned a lot of life lessons, if anything, and uh, probably got my ego from that too. <laughs> So, like, do you think you did end up quitting because you just didn't have the, like, pure drive and, like, love for the sport that a lot of other people have? Like, I don't think a lot of people have that. So Really? Uh, oh, sure. I mean, so tennis is one of those sports, just like many as a kid, where, I mean, as an 8-year-old or a 12-year-old, it's the same thing with anything. You know, 15-year-olds even, 18-year-olds, you don't have know what you want to freaking do let alone if something's your passion so like with tennis or with soccer and all that there's a lot of stuff that's driven by your parents and your environment and all that good stuff and you can even be fooled into thinking that you know it's a passion or it actually can be but um so i think when from like age 10 till maybe 16 it's like what i knew you know and it was definitely kind of pushed on me um I don't think I was like, you know, you always hear the whole like prodigy this prodigy that blah, blah, blah. I think a lot of that is like a scam by, uh, by coaches, if anything. And it's probably similar, similar in a lot of different environments and a lot of different sports with kids growing up. There's a whole lot of coaches. It's almost like an infrastructure. Like there's a whole lot of coaches that tell a whole bunch of parents that want to hear what they want to hear. They're like, Oh, your kid's a prodigy. Like, shoot. Like, dude, you know me, like I can hardly walk in a straight line. <laughs> so like, yeah, I'm tall or whatever, but like not athletic particularly have to work in being athletic for sure. Like wasn't fit. I was me and uh, my buddy Max were like asthmatic, like <laughs> in no way, shape or form was that a prodigy, but there's a lot of coaches along the way that tell parents what they want to hear. Um, and you see that at every level. And then as a kid, and this is like how it should be, you're a child, you know, you don't know anything ultimately, like you are reliant on your parents to pave your path. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a negative thing. It's just inherent. You know, a kid doesn't know what they don't, they don't know, like we can get into politics of this too, but like kids don't know what they're going, what's going on. Um, I mean, shoot, adults hardly do either. You know, I hardly do now. So, like, <laughs> goddamn, when you're a kid, like, get out of here. Yeah, so, like, I think mom and stuff a little bit fell into the whole path of, like, oh, your kid's a prodigy, and, you know, went with it. And when I was, like, 12, 13, 14, you know, I was told that I was the man or whatever, and it just be- it becomes, like, your entire identity. Um, and that's the thing we can, like, look back on a little bit, but, like, having one thing as your identity is recipe for disaster in a lot of ways i think at least so or if you just like go ahead go ahead nope i was just gonna say like it's not necessarily a disaster if you end up like actually having that passion and like obsession over it and become one of the lucky few that makes a career out of it out of it so (laughs) yeah but that's kind of winning the lottery in a lot of ways and you see that and you know all good things come to an end as well so like you kind of not to 
jump uh, topics and stuff, but you see that in the military to like an insane degree when like the military is your sole identity, like, Hey, guess what? That comes to an end, whether voluntarily after like four years or whatever, or after 20, like it comes to an end and you see a lot of people struggle with that. Um, and you saw that with tennis too, like the tennis identity will come to an end. And if that's the only thing you have, like you're going to be screwed for a while. But, uh, for me found out at like 16 or so, like I was still doing pretty good nationally and stuff, but like, Maybe I didn't think about it rationally, and I sure, you know, the parents didn't, but, like, I'm not going to be a pro. You know, tennis is one of those things where you can be number one in the United States out of thousands and still not make a dime, um, or let alone a living, let alone a living for years, like, you know? And uh, one day I just had this, like, understanding of, like, what the hell am I doing, hitting hit a fuzzy ball over <laughs> a net for, like, four hours a day. Um and so that was like the downfall of the career that I was not destined to have anymore. Is that like a specific moment you can recall where you had that realization kinda, of like, what the heck yeah, am I kinda, doing? Yeah, it kind of goes back to like the whole, um, like going to Florida, if you remember that. Mm-hmm. When I was like 15-ish, you know, I went to South Carolina and lived with some randos for a little bit. Like, that's a good idea. Um and then after that, went to Florida because of like some tennis academy. And uh, while I was there, like I was living by myself, which was a wild time, and had my own apartment as a 16 year old, own car, credit card. Like that's a good idea. And uh, yeah, just one day, I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Hitting a fuzzy ball over that. Like everything hurts anyway. Like this sucks. <laughs> and, you know, there's positives with that background and stuff of playing a a sport or really anything at like a high level and the dedication that comes with it, you can learn lessons, but you can also, you know, for every person who learned like discipline and stuff, there's also the person who learned narcissism and an insane ego, which I'm sure you can probably see sometimes. <laughs> so. Do you look back at Florida now? Like how do you look at that time period in your life now that you're like, older and more mature like what does it just feel like (laughs) it's a good uh it's a good lesson i guess probably to anybody it's like one if you're i don't think it's a negative to be a different person um multiple times throughout your life like if you're not like you can evolve in an extreme fashion um multiple times and it doesn't mean you know you're wishy-washy whether it's even with ideas and stuff or you as an individual like I don't think about tennis ever unless somebody asks me about it or like finds out that I played and then it just like floods back and stuff. But like, yeah, those four days were nuts. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, those four <laughs> days were nuts. Where, where were you in the U S at your, at your peak? <sighs> Probably when I was like 14 ish. Um, I was, I don't know, I was like maybe 20, 25 in the nation at one point for like a short period of time. And it was literally just because I was bigger than everybody else. So like, and also that being said, you know, and this is something that we as a family did horribly, but you know, my coach was actually insistent on it. He was completely right. It's like, it doesn't, nobody gives a damn what you are at 12, you know, at 14, at 16, even at 18. You know, it matters like where you end up and tons of people throw it away, probably myself included, with like, I need to be winning at 14. 
And so you can win with bad habits. And that's exactly what I was doing. So I was winning at 14 doing bad habits and it destroyed me at 18. Um, whereas somebody who's trying to develop good habits and doesn't care about winning uh, necessarily or like results at that time when they're young, you know, you can develop those habits that will actually make you successful later on. But uh, yeah, probably like 20-ish uh, and 14. And that's out of like thousands. But uh, you see that too, going back to like the whole prodigy thing, at every level you play, whether and like national is like the level. And if you're not playing that, like, if you're not in the top 100 nationally, like, you're not going to a good school, you know, on scholarship, anything like that. And even at, like, the sectional level or the state level or, like, the high school level, like, playing for your high school, there are, every, there are so many parents and stuff that are, like, my son's the next Pete Sampras. And without, it, without a clue that there's, like, 8,000 people better than him just in his state, you know? And uh, it's wild. It's a trip. It's like an, it's honestly in the U S especially, it's like an infrastructure, like founded on manipulating parents to make money because <laughs> it's an expensive sport and lessons cost a shit ton. So just like all sports in general, practice. like I hope someone's done a thesis in psychology about the psychology of parents and their egos revolving around their kids and sports. <laughs> like, Oh, it's not even yeah, like football. Like there's like football dads are like, yelling like crazy at their second graders or like not picking up a fumble or something like in all sports it's just like it's honestly like pretty comedic <laughs> when you just oh, look at insane. it yeah and, and it kind of goes probably if you want to get like meta with it like society level like it's not just sports it's really anything but it's you know we have we're kind of seeing the repercussions in a lot of ways of like the every trophy for every kid like generation and we're trying to, we're just kind of seeing like the narcissism manifested in a lot of ways. And like, it's the same thing. Like, I think some people are kind of coming to the realization with a bunch of Netflix documentaries about, you know, whether it's female gymnastics and the horrors that are in that or like little league soccer and travel soccer and like, Oh my God, it's disgusting. But yeah, it's not just tennis and it's not just sports either. And there's a lot of benefits to sports. Like, when I have kids, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, avoid sports at all, but definitely going to avoid sports that like this super toxic, have to be high level, trying to make it pro because it's a scam, you know, and it's, it's it, it really is. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting psychologically, not just from the parents like point of view, but like from the child's like, there's probably like, if you're getting like yelled at all the time for like not performing well enough as an athlete as like a 10 year old like there's got to be some like psychological repercussions to that too like oh without a doubt yeah for sure um that's like anything it's not necessarily like getting yelled at for performance or anything and like not trying to rip on parents because most parents really are trying to do the best they can um being flawed humans themselves and it's kind of like it's paraphrasing, but like, you know, the success of a parent is defined by how few, um, like skeletons you put on your child that were your, your own originally. Um, and that's kind of like how you define parenthood success and stuff. Like that's a hell of a job, you know? And, but yeah, to your point, dude, like a lot of parents are freaking nuts and it's at every level, you know, 
it's at the national level where people actually have a shot at like at least getting you know into schools and scholarships and stuff but it's also at like the state level where you don't have a chance in hell and yet you know parents think that their their son or daughter is you know a stud it's crazy but i mean like also you know if you can if you can learn from other people's mistakes and stuff like that's what it's all about yeah at least i learned that lesson i think so you said beat my kids (laughs) make the third pro i mean you're already a dog dad so getting some practice in with beating the dog yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's not going to be cut out have fun with that on spotify i definitely don't beat dogs i'd rather beat a kid (laughs) yikes (laughs) you're gonna get canceled uh, um, there's nothing to cancel, so it's all good. <laughs> you said tennis started to fizzle out for you at like around 16. So like, I'd say so. Transitioning into your army career, like you went to West Point for tennis, and like, what other schools were you considering, and why did you end up with West Point, and what was like you were still being competitive in tennis there? So yeah. Um, to answer your first question about like deciding to go to West Point and stuff like I didn't know anything about the military right like nobody in our family is Tony is the closest to like a military organization being a police officer um, definitely looked up to that just kind of like the toughness aspect um, but yeah I was looking at a couple other schools looking at Dartmouth uh, Air Force Academy which I should have gone to but uh, bygones are bygones um, I just had no clue, but I was in Florida by myself at the time. And I was living like this party lifestyle as like a 16, 17 year old. And everybody was coming up to me like, dude, you haven't made like, this is as good as it gets. Like it can't get better than this. You have your own place. You know, you get to party, you have no rules. Like life doesn't get better than this. And I was thinking like, oh my God, this is the worst I've ever felt, you know? And it was like this, like lack of fulfillment type thing and so there was a girl at the academy I went to whose sister was at West Point and I never even heard of West Point at this point right like have you ever seen Major Pain it's like an older movie it's like a comedy but it's about like this ridiculous like major drill sergeant character who's just like hardcore I know what you're talking about (laughs) yeah he like whips these like degenerate kids to shape and stuff so like I thought West Point was like this military school where like rich parents with horrible shitty brats like send their kids to to like get whipped into shape and like some historic dudes had gone out of that and you know made a name for themselves like that's what i thought it was at first um but i started researching it and like it was really just like a lack of purpose in my part um which is probably a fairly common theme with people sometimes joining the military but i was supposed to be at my highest high as like a freaking 16 year old or 17 year old I'm like, man, this sucks. Like, I do not feel fulfilled. I don't feel good as a person. And uh, I could see myself going to, like, a state school or something and becoming, like, a frat bro. And I was already a frat bro in a way, and I did not like it. So, yeah, researched West Point, fell in love with it super quick, especially when I was younger like that. I kind of just would make my mind up super fast and commit hardcore to something. Um, Yeah, so, like super quickly decided to go to West Point, reached out. The coach actually reached out um, at that time 
so like really good timing and i signed to west point like super super quickly so yeah and i'm very glad for it in a lot of ways but uh as far as like continuing the tennis career and stuff like that was almost um <laughs> had nothing to do with like wanting to play tennis at that point like one was kind of like this feeling of hey i got into west point itself partially because i played tennis at a high level probably would not have gone in you know just based on my own other merits um so i felt like a slight commitment to that and then also it's just a much better lifestyle um at that school being on a ncaa team uh it just you know you get to escape prison every now and then so it definitely has its perks so that's kind of why i continue playing for another four or five years yeah hearing that just gave me some serious flashbacks of watching games at the tennis center and uh being in that little lounge room with like the tv and stuff at west point yeah <laughs> yeah yeah with all the stringers and stuff yeah what do you remember like growing up when you were super young do you remember anything about like tennis or any of that environment that might have changed you at all it's just like a nothing uh nothing solid just the various vague memories of being in country clubs and watching you play tennis and the smell of the tennis courts and whatnot but like do you remember the van no the conversion van with the tv and we had a nintendo in there no <laughs> you don't remember that oh damn mm -hmm. yeah those are the good days we had like a mom had like that huge conversion van and there was like a tv in it which is like crazy back then i'm starting to date myself but like <laughs> flat screen tvs were like the shit so like we had a flat screen tv in there and like a nintendo and would just play video games and watch movies that we shouldn't be watching <laughs> on the way there like r-rated movies that were terrifying <laughs> that like mom for some reason recommended that were scarring so <laughs> yikes yeah. i remember kelsey yeah. dabbled a little bit too so i remember some of her uh harpeth hall matches and stuff like that yeah but, uh, that's another that's a good example of like what i was saying at like a different level it being just as intense you know like kelsey was doing bigger better things with a lot more important stuff in her life but like man even those like high school girls matches were freaking insane like <laughs> crazy ass parents kelsey like bruising her leg from smacking it like good times <laughs> yeah what do you think that uh what do you think seeing that environment uh when you were young like do you think that impacted you at all or i mean it's all speculative i can't say but like yeah not to get freudian but I, well I was, I was just thinking like i'm not sure if i was like naturally easygoing or if like seeing the like constant like competitiveness of the tennis environment made me more easygoing but like i'm not competitive at all and just like seeing a perfect example of how like competitive i view you and kelsey is just the ping pong games even like I even remember those was, from when I was, I was like, yeah, I remember those from when I was like seven. And like, like you said, Kelsey smacking the paddle on her thigh as hard as she can and stuff. Like, yeah, like I feel like I tried making myself competitive. It's like in 2019 when I was like trying to do the EWS stuff pretty seriously, but realize like, I'm just not, I don't care for <laughs> that environment. Yeah. That's just not my cup of tea.
Sure. Yeah. Maybe that has to deal with it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's got its pros and cons. Like I think, unfortunately you kind of got to see like an unhealthy competitive environment in a lot of ways. Um, Because, like, I I believe competition makes the world go round uh, for the better. You know, like, competition strives innovation and and all those good things and stuff. And, like, even in the world, like, you saw probably with mountain biking, like, you know, if you want to be at the top of something, you have to work your ass off. And that's just how it is. Like, even me with tennis. I worked three, four hours a day every day with coaches, trainers, all this shit, and, like, still didn't amount to anything. And, like, that's not a bad thing, right? But, yeah, you kind of got to see the, the wild side a little bit. And that's kind of like the unfettered concept. Like, competition itself isn't bad. You know, no competition is probably a, and just as much of a negative as well. But then when you get into, like, parents getting into fistfights over a kid's tennis match, like, then it's a little, <laughs> needs a little regulation <laughs> thrown in there. Yeah. What about stuff about West Point, non-tennis related? Any uh high points low points just memorable things i mean i'm very thankful of the west point years as much as they sucked in certain ways uh, i think it's just a great example like, if college is the time to kind of figure yourself out a little bit like i can see over the four years each year of me changing a lot um and it's just funny to look back on it. Like, I'm sure you will too, you know, in a few years or a decade or whatever. It, and it's like the beauty of like some sort of self, um, like awareness and stuff. Like, dude, I went from like a partier before West Point to like full three, six or like 180 of like, I was like the most military kid ever as an 18 year old. And it's really funny to look back on because, like, I was a dick. <laughs> so, like, went from, like, partying and, like, not even knowing what the military was, and I just went deep into it. You know, like, the high and tight haircut, like, super, like, authoritarian, and, like, you know, I hated people who broke the rules, like, looked down on them, like, oh, my God, you broke the Like, you know, that kind of character in this, like, they tell you what to do, just do it, do it the best you can. Like, it's just a game, play the game as best as possible. And like really authoritarian. And you kind of see that you can actually kind of see that in a lot of ways in society itself now, as I think we've transitioned, even with COVID not to get into that conversation and stuff, but like a more authoritarian look in certain ways. But like, man, when I was 18, 19 at school, like, yeah, I was, totally into the military concept like the cliche military concept the army isn't all that right it's not like this automaton like you know cliched movie military culture but like for me not knowing anything that's what i thought it was um so those are like the first couple years and then a couple years into it i like kind of recognized like wait a second you know me listening to some dude really well or doing what they want to do without asking questions like that doesn't make me good um it's just finding yourself so like i kind of had that recognition and started to and it's so easy and looking back you can see this it's so easy to like flip-flop you know it's like the center and the median is like where you want to be 
it's very easy to see yourself go like extreme one way to the extreme the other to a little less extreme back in the same way until you like kind of like zero in on where you probably ought to be in the first place. Um, like, yeah, last couple of years I went into this more like, okay, like it's the game is stupid and it doesn't matter. It doesn't make you a good person if you're just playing by ridiculous rules, which is, which is West Point, you know, it's like, cupping your hands and like asking permission to speak and walking on a side of a wall and like all this insanity. And I think it, it, it's good in certain ways, but it's also like the initial catalyst for a lot of issues. I think that the military has, um, that make it mediocre, a mediocre organization in a lot of ways too. And it kind of starts <laughs> when you're an 18 year old at basic training or, you know, at school. Sorry, not trying to get into like other like trains of thought. But. No, it's good. Uh, I has I talked to Kelsey about Princeton and asked what uh, her most memorable or favorite moment, what that was. Do you have like a specific thing that stood out like as the best moment, or at least like yeah. up there? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's just like one pinpoint moment, and it's so hilarious how little meaning it has to be now. Um, but I would say like the the one moment that comes to my head was like winning the Army Navy match in tennis, like being that person who like broke the tie and we won, and it was this just crazy ass moment um, that I was told was like so epic, and it felt super epic at the time, and. Uh, I'm still proud of it and it's like still really cool and like having that feeling is really cool but like also the weight that I put on that uh that moment is like super insignificant now does that make sense like yeah it's still really cool though I remember that (laughs) yeah it was awesome like it was super cool and it's not like I'm like like I'm not proud of it and stuff now but also it's not like I look at you know the the file that I have on my laptop ever you know um I think that kind of goes to like what I was saying about reinventing yourself and that not necessarily being a negative to kind of flip flop every now and then. Like there's a lot, especially in, you know, my organization of the military and the army, there's a lot of people who like, you know, that cliche of like you peaked in high school, man, you know, or like you were the star quarterback and now for the rest of your life, that's what you're going to view yourself as. Um, It's not good. It's not good. So, like, I'm very thankful that, like, super cool moment, but, like, also has nothing to do with my identity now. So, I would say that. What was Kelsey's? Um, <laughs> she she said various. Uh, she listed a couple, and then she's like, oh, yeah, I met Cheyenne. So, that's kind of... <laughs> that's oh, kinda, by the way, yeah. <laughs> that was a little funny. <laughs> but, yeah, she... I think Fuzzy Dice was just one of the best things about Princeton for her. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it seems really cool. So, Yeah, Kelsey uh, Dice is awesome. I yeah. will say about Princeton, I uh, got to go visit Kelsey every now and then and coming from school, and it was freaking awesome. It was, like, <laughs> the best time ever for me. So, like, I would take the train from, like, you know, West Point down to New York City and then go to Penn Station and then take the train from Penn Station to Princeton, and it was like time traveling in the span of two hours from like a prison environment to Hogwarts. So it was freedom. 
Yeah, like even like the Princeton like station, dude. It's like pretty with like brick and stone, and you're just like, all right, I'm safe. And then would crash at Kelsey's dorm and stuff. And I remember mm-hmm. their cookie hall where they had free cookie and hot chocolate and coffee and stuff. And like the dining clubs. Yeah, yeah the eating clubs and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> freaking amazing. Yeah, Princeton was definitely my safe space too. So. Yeah. Uh, those, are, those are actually those are actually amongst the best memories was like leaving school <laughs> <laughs> the, so. the best memories were the ones where you weren't there <laughs> honestly like and then you know that's a great benefit of like west point too is you know you get super cool opportunities to do other things outside of it so i got to go to europe for two months over two different trips like that was sick you know kind of had like the red carpet treatment got to getting to do some crazy stuff in in england and germany belgium france um where being affiliated with the institution, it kind of just opened up a bunch of cool opportunities. But as far as like day-to-day stuff at school, like, yeah, freaking blue. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you want to talk about Ranger School? Whew, okay, yeah, we're jumping. What yeah. do you want to know? <laughs> so what was that experience like for you? And are there any, like, is there anything you haven't told me about it before? Because, like, that's another thing I remember is picking you up when uh, yeah. you had, what was it, like fail a, what is it, a rotation? Or? I, I, I failed the first phase. I think. The phase, yeah. yeah. And just yeah, like the first phase. taking you out to, yeah. to town to like go eat and stuff like that. And I was just like, damn. Yeah, like. <laughs> going, to different, like going from restaurant to restaurant, throwing up after each one. No. <laughs> Good times. Um, <laughs> that's crazy i forgot that you came down that was cool um i remember being cold and i had like my little beanie just to keep my bald head warm uh no like ranger school is definitely like a crucible event and it's an, it was another good, great example of kind of figuring out yourself um and it's also just hilarious to look back on and i don't know if it's a, like i keep on talking about like important things that were like super important in the moment you know becoming less so as you age like, I kind of think that's a positive in certain ways. Um, it's the same thing with ranger school. Like, you know, when you graduate, you get your little two piece, two inch piece of cloth and stuff. It's like the biggest deal ever, you know, like for two weeks, you're just like looking at it. (laughs) Um, and it means something, you know? And then two years after you like, by like two years after going, you don't even think about it anymore again. And unless somebody brings, brings it up and then it just floods your, your brain with memories and stuff. I mean, um, why would you want to think about it more though? Dude, I have, I do, I've never had nightmares with anything else. I have nightmares about maybe it's just cause I've lived a great life and a very lucky life, but like I've had nightmares about being told I have to go back to ranger school. And I've had nightmares about being told like I found out I was a fraud at West Point and had to redo it or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, as silly as it sounds. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. Like it, uh, Again, like looking back, like I was kind of a dick, dude. And, you know, probably in five years, I'll look back at myself now and be like, what the hell? But uh, it's tough, man. And like, I thought I was tough going in and definitely just like anything too, like experiences vary. Like guys have easier times than others. You know, the time of the year really matters. Like, you know, like Patch, my buddy, he went in the winter and the summer and he was saying like the summer is a joke comparatively. Um yeah, learned a lot about myself. Like, I 
have not struggled with depression really at that time in my life and stuff. And, uh, that was like my first time being like thoroughly depressed and probably cause I had crazy hormones or lack of lack thereof from like sleep depression, depression and the sleep. What's the word? Deprivation. <laughs> Deprivation. Thank you. And, uh, you know, malnourishment and stuff. Like I remember failing my second time yeah, or like my second phase. It's so, like, I failed Darby, which is like no big deal. Like, you're expected to fail a couple phases or like one or two phases, <sighs> which, you know, was a kick in the nuts. And that's when you picked me up. And then I passed Darby, went to mountains. And like the best thing about the school, I think, is how it sets your perspective to what discomfort is. Um, so like the first phase, Darby phase, you go there and you're like, this is the hardest thing ever. Nothing can be harder. And then you pass Darby phase and then you go to mountain phase and you see what hard is. And you can look back on Darby and you're like, oh my God, it was a joke. You know, like your pack is now 40 pounds more. Your movements are now twice as long. And instead of them being flat, they're like up and down freaking mountains during night. And it's just like, it's a great way to calibrate what you view as difficult um, and discomforting. And like, I think that is a huge benefit of the school especially in a society like ours like we are so extraordinarily fortunate to live in what is the wealthiest you know richest society ever by magnitudes that like something that is considered insanely hardcore whether it's ranger school or like the cliche that is like buds training for the seals and stuff like Everybody's like, oh, my God, this is the hardest thing ever. They make books about it. They make, you know, documentaries, all this crap. And it's just like, it's still easier than how 90% of people in the world live, you know? And, like, that's amazing. Like, even in ranger school. So I lost 45 pounds. I went from, I'm 225 now and skinny. I started the school at 205 and I finished at 160. Like, you know, you could see my ribs from my back. You could see like my like spinal column and my neck and stuff. Like it was gnarly. Right. But at the same time, like, you know, every single day in school, you're getting two square meals, you know, like it's a good calibration tool in that, like, it's super tough for our society. And it's a, you know, a dude, a dude died two days ago in the course, like it happens and stuff but, like, man, that says how awesome we have it more than like, Kaysen is a badass, right? Um, just the way I look at it. It's like most people in the world, you know, are living on $3 a day. Um, people, like, I've never spent a day in my life where I didn't know if I was going to eat. And that's most people in America. And that is amazing because that's not how the world is now even. And it's not how sure as hell is and how the world was historically. Um, so you kind of look at ranger school and like, yeah, it was super tough. Like, yeah, it's the toughest thing I've ever done, um, and a lot of people ever do. But like, man, it ain't that bad if you look at it from like a spectrumal stance. And it's like that with other other uh, countries too. Like, there's countries that have their own ranger school that's kind of built off of ours that make ours look like a joke. <laughs> like Colombian Lancero school, their last patrol is against the FARC. Like a guerrilla force is trying to kill them. <laughs> you know, like. The Thai school, like people die like every class. So it's a good perspective changer for somebody who was fortunate enough to live in the greatest country in the world. 
was that when you when you mentioned nightmares was that like quote from a vietnam soldier or whatever yeah there's i don't know there's like some colonel or whatever that people like to the quote they like to toss it around but it was just like you know i woke up in a in a cold sweat um thought i was back in ranger school but thank god i was only in the jungles of vietnam (laughs) (laughs) so like i get it (laughs) having having been in combat it's uh i'd rather be in combat in a lot of ways than back in ranger school as crazy as it sounds yeah so skipping down the road currently uh i'm under the impression that you have knowledge that certain other people don't so uh what does the military know about aliens oh yeah (laughs) these are the hard questions that i want that i want to talk about um unfortunately i do not know i have an inkling that's what they uh train you to say right that's definitely the cliche right it's like oh that you sound like my freaking (laughs) (laughs) in-laws um i mean shoot dude i believe in aliens i don't know what the i don't know if the military holds it or you know some sort of bureaucracy that's part of the executive branch or what but i believe in aliens (laughs) isn't there supposed to be more information released soon do you know about that i heard about the i heard about the whole like as part of the COVID relief bill or something, the CIA has to like relinquish all, all information it knows about aliens or whatever. But like people like there's so dude, it's the same thing with the military. Like there are so many misconceptions. Like the, the average soldier in the military doesn't know what all that goes on. Right. Let alone a civilian. Like, and I just got to see that coming be going from a civilian who had nobody in the military in the family to find it out. It's like, you don't know anything how it works really. And it's not like fault to your own and stuff, but like same thing with CIA. So like people think the CIA must be the organization that has all the, has all the facts and stuff. And it's like, no, you know, like I don't even think the CIA, if there is an organization that knows about the aliens, I don't even think it's the CIA. Um, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think the, you know, head of the CIA has a clue or anything like that. Um, I don't even know if the president would know, right? Like if, if it, if it is there, it's, it's some sort of program that is deep, deep buried. Um, so just being like in the intelligence community, like you always hear this saying of like, Oh, the, the government's too incompetent to be able to keep a secret. Right. And I used to think that because the government is insanely incompetent to include the military, like the larger a bureaucracy is, um, like the the least of, the less efficient it is as well, um, and so like I used to believe that I used to tell people like oh you know the government doesn't know if there's aliens or not like it, they they couldn't keep a secret and uh, yeah the government is so crazy and efficient and incompetent in a lot of ways it's crazy but I don't think it's like if, if we do know about aliens or whatever I think it's a very small very 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 small group of people. Um, does it make sense at all? Like, I think, yeah, I think but I, I feel like that just raises a couple of issues, though. Because, like, if you just look at, uh, if you just say aliens are a conspiracy theory, and then like look at historical conspiracy theories that turned out to be true, none of them were like held for like long periods of time. Like, it it got out. Like, 
MK Ultra, for example, like stuff like that. That was still that was still a couple decades, you know. Yeah, but like, I don't know. It depends on if the government were to know details about that kind of stuff. Like, how long have they known it for? If you know, if you see what I'm yeah, trying to say. Like, <laughs> and that's like the great question. Um, I don't. I think like just saying the government is. United States government, like you know, like somebody who's part of the government knows. Like, what does that mean? Because I don't think it's like the CIA. I don't think there's a branch in the CIA that deals with this, right? Like, I doubt there's like an office in the Pentagon in the basement that deals with this. Because if that was the case, I do think it'd be um, something so big as that would be released. But like, understanding a little bit how like you know security infrastructure works and clearances and all that, like even like the thing like even things one most top secret things are super boring to the uninitiated right like most ts stuff are like technical components of like signal collection things you know like super nerdy like no one would ever give a damn unless you're you know an enemy of, of the united states um but even those things like like Going, like when I was in Afghanistan, like there were there were programs in Afghanistan where like three people in the country knew, and I was like read right onto a bunch of programs and stuff, and like there were, like I was read right on the programs where ninety nine point nine percent of people in the country had no clue, but then there were other programs where like three, four, five people in the country knew about, and that was it. So like, and you'll never know. Um, so something like that, like you know, you hear the who's the dude who. Uh, says he like reverse or attempted to reverse engineer stuff in area S1 or S4 or 51 or whatever. You so know what I'm like, talking about? The only like person I know who is alien focused like that is Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar, yeah. Is that him? Yeah, and like I, I think there could be something like that. Like if you look at you know the Nevada National Security site um, the NNSS where like area 51 is in and groom Lake. And, you know, you can just go on Google and see all the nuclear test craters and stuff. Like who's to say that there's not a shed or a bunker on the mountain in area 51 that has a couple craft, like you, that could be there and you would never know. Cause guess what? Like Bob Lazar aside, who else is, has worked at area 51 and talked about it? Because if you talk about like not being able to keep a secret, guess what? There's hundreds, if not thousands, of people who actively work at Area 51. Nobody talks about it, you know. And it's the same thing with a lot of programs. Like, there's people who leak stuff, um, and most programs are just lame to like the layman. Um, but like, there's hundreds, if not thousands. If you look historically, there's been thousands of people who worked at Area 51. You don't hear anything except Bob Lazar. So, like, doesn't that kind of prove itself that, like, some groups can keep a secret? <laughs> what if there just isn't a secret to keep there, though? Yeah, that's not the case. <laughs> you think it's, you think Area 51 specifically, though, has some, like, clandestine stuff? It absolutely does. Um, like, I mean, you, like, the box, the no fly box around it, like, even if you're a military pilot and so like they have tons of stuff, um, like all, like a bunch of tests for like, uh, like test aircraft and stuff goes out in, you know, whether it's New Mexico, Nevada, Arizona, 
like they have boxes like where it, as a military pilot if you get anywhere near that fly box like your your career is screwed like if there's a hundred percent like quote unquote top secret stuff going on there but like also you know there's top secret stuff going like I, you know where i work right now like i drive past this and if you come down here you'll see it like there's a top secret electronic warfare site that you drive past every day you know outside sierra vista that that any civilian can see like it's no question there's like is there top secret stuff going on there it's just like what and probably if i were to guess it would be a lot of like really mundane stuff that you know you and i wouldn't give a damn about but like russia china would. yeah I'm not so, saying there's aliens there, yeah, I don't know, yeah. but I do think it's a possibility. Yeah, like, obviously there's stuff that's secret, but uh, do you have more knowledge on, like, what the military is capable of, I feel like, than I do? So do you think that, like, say just that New Mexico, uh, what was it, American Airlines? The thing you the just thing mentioned? The thing that happened, like, a week or two ago? Yeah. Like, do you think yeah, that... Yeah, I think it was American Airlines. Do you think that or other, like, specific footage or examples of, like, unidentified flying objects are capable of being just, like, super top-secret government testing stuff? Like, Yeah, absolutely. Um, not to sound like that guy, but, like, I think it's possible. I don't know anything for sure, right? And I don't have any component of needing to know if anything. But, like, okay, you know test aircraft is like top secret test aircraft is being routinely developed all the time. It's a fact. Everybody knows, you know, we developed the B 50 or we found, we developed the B two, you know, we developed the F one seventeen Nighthawk. Like we developed the U two stealth plane. Like that stuff go is going on and it's always going on. I don't know if it's like a UFO or whatever, but like, you know, the only the only evidence there is is like the Colonel Dave Fravor testimony and that whole incident, which is nuts. Um, and then things like the American Airlines, where there's like it happens all the time. And when people say there's no, not to be like the alien conspiracy dude, but like when people say like, oh, there's no evidence, show me the evidence. Like what they mean is that like a UFO hasn't landed on the White House lawn. Right. Yeah, it's but like, like just because the UFO a UFO hasn't landed on the White House lawn doesn't mean there isn't evidence. You know, there's tons. There's uh, there's a lot of, and unfortunately, there's so much BS um, out there that it like convolutes the things that aren't. And it's the same thing with conspiracy theories. Like, there's so many crazy whack jobs, and there's so many absurd conspiracies out there that it like almost does a disservice to the ones that are actually true. Um, because it's like a ratio thing. It's the same thing now. Like people use the word conspiracy theory to dismiss possibilities that are maybe even probabilities um, because there's so many whack jobs, you know, that say like alien reptilian pedophiles are stealing our babies and eating them, right? Like that's the type of demographic that does more of a disservice to actual events than anything else. Same thing with MKUltra. If you, if, you know, if that didn't happen and somebody were to say the CIA was, and you know, they were, giving syphilis to the black community in Georgia, you know, testing it on civil civilians in Georgia, um, you know, mind control experiments with, you know, Johns who were trying to just, you know, use a prostitute in San Francisco. Like these are facts, 
you know? And if somebody were to say, like, the CIA hasn't done mind control experiments using LSD, like, you would think that was insane. Um, and it's a thing. Yeah, most definitely. So do you think if, like, the, if the White House were to release a statement being like, guys, like, sorry to keep you from this for so long, but, like, yeah, there's definitely, like, extraterrestrials that have visited us in aircraft, like, and the general public knew about it. It was, like, headlines. Like, what do you think would happen then? Just speculating. I don't know. <laughs> um, dude, honestly, if I were to guess, like, <sighs> so it hasn't happened, right? Like, I, I don't think, I don't think it's an automatic good thing to release that information. Um, society is super, like, as we're seeing now, right, with COVID or racial tensions or, you know, culture wars or whatever, like, society is crazy fragile. Um, and, like, I hate to say it, but there's a huge demographic of society that is just either nuts or just stupid. Um, if, if you can, if you can burn a federal courthouse down for no reason, like what's going to happen if you find out that aliens visit earth, right? Like, I think it just, if I were to guess, I would imagine it hasn't happened because like, I don't think most people need to know. Um, and it's something like as profound as like, you know, life, intelligent life visiting earth is like the coolest thing ever. Right. And I would love to know, like, I would freaking love to know. Right. And I think there's a ton of people who would, and there's a ton of people who could handle knowing, but there's also a ton of people who, you know, there's still tons of people who believe in like things wilder than aliens. Right. And I don't know if that demographic would, I don't know if everybody knowing would be the answer. Yeah. And (laughs) if I were to guess, that's why if, you know, if, we do know or whatever or somebody knows like i would i would guess that's why i don't think it's an automatic to just be like yeah it it happens i don't know if that'd make like the world better (laughs) yeah i just i haven't thought about this before and just thinking about it right now like personally i'd probably like if i just heard i'd probably be pretty excited and go to Starbucks and get a coffee and just think a little bit and be like, wow, that's pretty cool. But like, there's a lot of like philosophical like quandaries that can come up with that too. And like, even like religious, it's like, if like the evangelical like crowd finds out, it's like, oh, like does Jesus, did he go to their civilization too? Or do they have a God? Like even just like, there's like a definitely a big can of worms that, can be open with that <laughs> absolutely yeah and it's the same concept with like it is always easier to break tear something down tear an institution down or tear society down than it is to build it up and like i think with anything you know we need to be cautious with putting a culture or society in the situ in the circumstance where it can be torn down you know whether it's aliens or cultural things that we're seeing or whatever but like you know if we found if like you see on Wall Street Journal, like, government, you know, says aliens exist. I'd be like, oh, shit. And then I would go to the Starbucks and drink a cup of coffee. <laughs> right? I'd be like, damn, that's pretty tight. And, uh, <laughs> but, like, and I'm sure there's a lot of people who would do the same thing. But I don't know if it's, like, the evangelical community or whatever or religious people that would just lose their shit and start vandalizing. Like, I think there's just a demographic of any society whether it's America or anywhere else in the world where it's just like, 
we're pretty close to we're pretty close to like primates dude at the end of the day you know like if you look at humans in general you know even me i didn't invent this freaking computer right like i had i have not invented anything that you can see in this screen or built or anything i'm just an idiot and most like we're we're just a type of primate where there's a very small group of us of the human species that are hyper intelligent me not being one of them and it's just like we can we we're pretty good at tearing things down and i think it's something like i don't know dude you know you can make an argument that we're kind of slowly releasing it now as well like if if this were a thing i think anybody would agree any decision maker would agree that a slow release and like a slow adaptation of society to the idea would be the way to do it. Yeah. And you see now with the Vatican, you know, the Vatican constantly, you know, year after year, even generationally now makes statements of like, you know, whether it comes to extraterrestrials or life on other planets, you know, making statements like, Hey, if we do find life on another planet, it doesn't mean Jesus doesn't exist. And like, you know, the Vatican makes statements like that all the time. And you're seeing the government kind of do it now, too, whether it's, like, the Pentagon Papers being released of, like, hey, we have a program that studies this stuff. We don't know what it is. Or Wall Street Journal with the Dave Fravor stuff. Like, if I – I don't know, you know, and I, and I definitely have biases because I find the idea interesting. But, um, you know, if you were to release – information like that you would probably have to do it in like a slow burn kind of way but it's definitely a concept that's getting a lot of attention you know yeah. and uh historically you know like the whole ufology thing went from and there's so much junk science in it that like it's understandable it's like bigfoot you know the junk science and all of it is what ruins the concept um but you know you you saw years and decades of like this whole concept is just absurd and like laughed upon and then it kind of dipped and people even just forgot about it. And over like the past few years, you know, whether it's Joe Rogan's doing or what, like the concept has kind of, you know, gained some momentum and acceptance. Yeah, dude, I'm going to get so many YouTube uh, views when I post this clip on YouTube and then tell people to go to my Spotify after like, this is going to blow up for sure. Yeah. You got to do like the weird, like, uh, like graphics and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Some like Google image of like, gray aliens in the background like it was like a little tilt in the corner and then like me looking up (laughs) yeah yeah but like honestly personally like screw it i'm ready to like have the full details if there were like covid's (laughs) weird enough as is technology is weird enough it's like i think you're ready too because i don't think it would change your life (laughs) no I think you would just go back to going to Starbucks or wearing, you know, hipster beanies or whatever you do. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what I'm concerned is, is like the other demographic of people who are just going to, you know, there's a demographic of people who don't need a very good excuse to start looting and rioting, you know. And I think finding out that aliens visit Earth is a pretty damn good excuse. (laughs) So, yeah, it's definitely interesting. I want to be a believer. Um. But, you know, at the end of the day, what the heck do I know? What, would, yeah. what do you think? If you were to guess, would you say, like, if you just had to say right now, like, yes or no, like, yes, aliens have visited the world, like, has visited, like, Earth, or no, what would you say? That's so hard. I don't think I, I can know, answer. Like if, like, if you had to, like, bet on your life right now, what would you say? I would bet. I mean, this is kind of stupid, 
because it seems pretty obvious, but that there is life besides Earth. Like, I think that's a good starting point. But you'd imagine, yeah. Damn, I have no clue if, like, yes or no, what is it? Screw it, yes. <laughs> nice. But like, I don't know. It's it's just fun to yeah, think about. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I would say nobody knows, but maybe somebody does, but it sure as hell isn't me or you. But I like the idea. I would say it's like a close 50%. I don't, but also, like, what the hell do I know? Yeah, I, I, a cool idea, though. I do think the most compelling story I've heard is the one of, what's his name, that pilot? Dave Fravor. Oh, yeah. yeah. And just listening to, like, that couple of podcasts and whatnot with him on, it's, it's very interesting. And he's, yeah. And he's definitely seems to be an intelligent person. He's put together and like, like if someone were to make a claim like that, he seems like a pretty decent person to do so. Oh, as as good as it gets, you know. And at the end of the day, unfortunately, it's that's the thing, dude. Is like, just when I'm thinking about it, like you can say that whole thing's an anecdote, and obviously it is. But like, there's quite a bit of anecdotes. It's not just one. Um, and it's been going back, you know, in World War II with like Foo Fighters and stuff being reported all the time. It's not like there are no reports from, you know, airline pilots. There's tons. Um, there's re- plenty of reports from the military. There's, and it's been for decades. Like, it's not like there's nothing. But the, th- the piece that's missing is like the press conference of like the alien showing up and wanting to talk to President Biden. Um, yeah. And I th- kind of feel like that's all we're missing. Um, you know, like, there might have been, like, who's to say that there weren't, you know, hovercrafts that landed or whatever, like, Area 51, Roswell shit and stuff. Like, who the fuck knows? Excuse my language. Oh, you're, you're fine. Cursing's allowed. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know what kind of, I don't know what kind of podcast this is. <laughs> no, you can say whatever you want. But... But like, with that, too, with, like, I love the alien topic, but, like, you hear, even with, is there extraterrestrial life outside Earth? Like, guess what? Like, if there isn't, extraterrestrial life outside earth like you know christianity is probably correct right like what are the odds that it's not and then you always hear these like hypotheses of like you know what i'm talking about with like all the different phases of civilizations and just happens to be that they kill themselves and like the different filters like the great filters and stuff you heard those no i'm just saying like there's tons of hypotheses about like why there would be no other life except for us and I just feel like the assumptions based on them are not, could be very, like, invalidated. Um, so shit, man. I guess I'm a believer. Yeah. <laughs> and just, like, thinking about the ways in which we do look for, like, extraterrestrial life. And just, like, I don't know. It seems just kind of, like, narrow in the scope of just, like, what we are, what we are trying to do. Like, I feel like there's definitely more than one way in which we could be looking for extraterrestrial life, but it just seems like, oh, here's a solar system that has a star, and there's planets here that could be, like, inhabitable, that, like, look like it's plausible or whatnot. But, like, heck, like, could be putting more effort into investigating that those things that we haven't explained yet, those... uh ufo encounters or just whatever because like that could be a good shot at getting to know that stuff as well so who knows yeah, and 
I agree. And like to your point of like, how do we find extraterrestrial life? It's, I don't think it's an easy thing to do. Even if like, even if like, you know, what, who am I? I'm an idiot. But like, even if the universe is teeming with life, like who's to say that SETI, like everybody here is sort of SETI. Who's to say that pointing like radio telescopes in the sky is this good way to do it? You know, like one, the radio, like the radio frequency would have to be so, and I don't know much, this is just me regurgitating, but like the radio frequency would have to, that they produced would also have to be powerful enough to break through all the background radiation and, ra- and frequent and radio waves. So like they could have broadcast a message to us or inadvertently, you know, like the microwave principle of like every time you turn on a microwave, it emits radio, radio frequencies. Like, but who's to say that it's loud enough that we could even filter it out from all the constant, you know, the billion microwaves on earth or whatever that are running. Like who's to say that SETI is a good way or even a possible way to find out. Um, I think there's a lot of people just from what I've heard is like physicists and stuff who are just like, yeah, there's no chance that somebody's going to find it, even if it's like tons out there. Um, yeah, it's an interesting concept. Let's go through, uh, some conspiracies and say yes or no to them. Oh, dang. (laughs) I guess this is like a conspiracy podcast, like all of them. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is probably going to be the one to get views of any right now. So, um, yeah, I'll look it up. Harp. Yes or no? I, I don't know enough about them. I'm saying no. You just gotta say yes or no, dude. This is not this is not educational. <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, JFK assassination. Yes or no? Yes, he was assassinated. <laughs> like it had to do with like the CIA and shit. No. Mm, maybe I'm going with maybe. Uh, MLK assassination, CIA. No. I'm saying probably. Uh, flat Earth. <laughs> no. Um, Bill Gates putting microchips in vaccines. Most definitely. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> what else are some? Uh, moon landing was a hoax. No. These are just so basic. I want to shoot. Yeah. I think most of the basic ones, like there's always conspiracies, right? Like whether it's Iran Contra or like conspiracies are occurring in government and stuff all the time. Epstein, like there are conspiracies and there's a lot of them, but again, they kind of get clouded by like the bullshit ones like chemtrails or, you know, harp or, you know, flat earth or whatever like i think a lot of the ones that are discussed are just so discussed because they're just absolutely absurd and also i think a lot of conspiracies are just kind of you know not that interesting oh there's some senator who's like you know inside trading like oh cool that's boring that's not aliens (laughs) yeah do you want to do you want to discuss more conspiracies or move on a little bit dude you're you're the man it's your podcast yeah, I'm. I don't know what to. On. I don't know what to say about conspiracy theories because, like I said, so many of them just seem a little absurd. I need a. I, I need a list of like. Are, I'd say. Yeah, I need a list of like. 
very well could be plausible conspiracy Dude, theories. you were the you were the Bigfoot man back in the day. You remember that? I still do tree knocks every now and then. Now. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah. I talk about like little tray days. Yeah, you're super into finding Bigfoot. Yeah, that and stuff is like aliens. that stuff is so uh, compelling as a little lad. Oh, it, dude, it goes to show but how, still. you know, everybody is, every single person is super susceptible to, like, cognitive biases and stuff. Like, there's not a better example than, like, a 16-year-old kid. <laughs> like, he doesn't, you know, how to spell cognitive. Like, <laughs> I was into ancient aliens and stuff, you know? I was just convinced. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like as I get older, there's stuff that is, like, just as weird and strange and fascinating but actually real that has replaced bigfoot you know like can you give an example like i've found like trying to learn a lot about psychedelics being very interesting because like there's so much we don't know about that and it's something that's very real that anyone can take pretty much and experience so like that i feel like that's a good example of like something that's mysterious and can be researched and has a lot of research to understand better that is also just very interesting so yeah that's, that is a good example um and even with that like you know you hear joe rogan and stuff talking about you know is dmt a portal to the aliens and stuff <laughs> or, or like what the elves or whatever like <laughs> again like that's the extreme right there's probably something that's very interesting that isn't quite that <laughs> You know, it can be super interesting and worth research and not be the extreme. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's cool what, like, scientists who actually, like, study the pharmacology of it and, like, are studying it in an academic way have to say about it. Because then it's just like, oh, this person, like, does it for, like, is trying to understand this for a living. It's not just some, like, it's not just Joe Rogan or some, like, hippie at a music festival. Like, it that stuff's yeah, really interesting great. yeah i mean if we want to talk about like the failures of the drug war and stuff holy shit but like oh, that's, you know whether it's going to be a whole other podcast Iboga, you know whether it's iboga and like its ability to you know just stunt addiction um mdma has been shown clinically now it's like a fda approved clinical treatment for uh like pretty hardcore ptsd and stuff like yeah I think like we'll have to save these, that. Like, class one banned substances that have tons of promise if it's just not like an 18 year old kid tripping balls at ultra music festival. <laughs> I think we have to save this topic for a whole different podcast because I could easily yeah. talk for two hours about it. But I'll one thing, <laughs> yeah, you could be, you could be the, the Duncan Trussell to my podcast. <laughs> but uh, one thing I did learn recently is like, you know how much absurd stuff is schedule one, right? Like marijuana, for example. But like, I learned that methamphetamine is schedule two. You can get a prescription for meth. It's not called meth, but there's like... It's not glass. Yeah, it's not glass from somebody's Yeah, like it, it has like a, it has a name for it, but it is chemically methamphetamine. It's used to treat ADHD, which is very I mean, yeah. strange. Yeah, it's, you know, Adderall is, uh, is an amphetamine and stuff. Yeah, it's just like people view meth as like this like crazy, awful, like 
Walter White stuff, <laughs> but like I mean, it is like I have a neighbor right now who's probably on meth, and they're vacuuming at three in the morning every night. It's awful. Yeah, very, <laughs> very much often it is that, but also it's like you get a prescription for that, service. and then like yeah. marijuana is Schedule One. It's like what? <laughs> well, it's the same thing. Yeah, it's I don't I don't really know much about like the classifications and stuff, but like I guess marijuana was Schedule What does Schedule One mean? Like it's it like the most prohibited. Huh? It's like the most prohibited. But it but what does it mean? Like there's no medical value or something like that? I think it has like some sort of medical classification to it. I might be wrong. Um but the same thing, like you can look at heroin or whatever. Like heroin and morphine are almost exactly the same. And morphine is like if you get a surgery and you'll get a morphine, you know, drip. You'll get an intravenous morphine drip in your surgical ward. You know, where you can just put push that button and, you know, fall into ecstasy it's almost the exact same thing as heroin um let alone every almost every painkiller is an an opiate uh derivative of some sort (laughs) and obviously there's huge huge negative you know ramifications with that and like you know prescription abuse and all that crazy stuff unfortunate stuff but it says according to the dea it's determined about the abuse rate so, like, Schedule 1 drugs have a high potential for abuse and the potential to create severe psychological and or physical dependence. Mm. And weed is one of those? Yeah, and methamphetamine isn't. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I would, I would... Yeah, who the hell knows? I mean, I think culture and society is catching up to the fact that weed is not the worst thing on in the world. But, you know, and it's a topic that's been just over-discussed probably. Um, yeah. but again, like that, isn't that a conspiracy? Like if you want to talk about real world conspiracies and stuff, like, you know, reefer madness and this, you know, newspaper mogul not wanting to switch his cotton production to hemp and like being afraid of how it's going to impact the, uh, um, that like industry. And like, that's what created, you know, reefer madness and stuff. Like that's a straight up conspiracy. That's completely valid happens all the time yeah and i've heard like pretty much all that needs to happen for a drug to go into schedule one is like a story hits the media of some teen like having a ridiculous amount and dies and then the government's oh like oh crap we're getting rid of that and it's just like kind of ridiculous because like you can die off anything you can overdose caffeine and die and we have that it can be yeah and that's definitely like the reactionary spirit of like lawmaking for one and politics like politicians do not get fired for doing things right they they get fired for not if you know the politician is not going to get elected if he doesn't do anything um and you can see that with a lot of different principles but like drugs is a great example like what you're saying like if somebody dies and it's this mania that you know it's just it's an anecdote like one person dying or even a collective a couple people a few people we have 340 million people you know but it's much easier for a politician or whatever to like make a profound speech about protect saving the children you know than not doing anything at all and being called horrible things for it and like that's a unfortunate aspect of just human nature probably not even society probably just human nature don't do a bit of a u-turn sure yeah I'm, i'm game um one of the questions i have is are you religious or spiritual and where do you stand in that sense so this is another example of things that i've flip flopped Mm -hmm. 
always, I'm always subject to change my mind. I'm not in any way, shape or form. This is how it is and how it's going to be for me. Um, but yeah, like currently not religious, um, not spiritual either, but like I can appreciate certain aspects. Like there's a lot of things of Christianity and the Bible and stuff that I do agree with, um, as like a, as like a foundation for living a, a healthy life. Um, you know, as far as like meditative practices, like I think it could be unbelievably beneficial, you know, if you want to like identify that with like Buddhism, um, even like if you want to go way out there with like using peyote or whatever for religious practices, like that can serve a purpose too in your life to make it better. Um, so I think there's a lot of profound wisdom in certain religions, but no, I'm not religious at all. Um, or probably even spiritual. But with that being said, like religion is obviously, um, whether it's at the individual level or it's definitely at like the cultural societal species level, like humans are a species of religion. Like, you know, every, like, even if you get anthropological about it, like every culture has religion, whether it's like uncontacted tribes in the Amazon. Um, so obviously religion serves some sort of like, like profoundly important evolutionary process. So definitely wouldn't like dismiss it. Um, What do you say you're agnostic then? I don't really know what the definition of agnostic is to be honest, but. Do you want the me definition or the Google definition? (laughs) Is it just like, is it just kind of like you don't know or. Uh, I'll just do the Google one person. who. I don't want to label myself. (laughs) Yeah, it's just an I don't know person. It's a person who believes that nothing is known or can be known of the existence or nature of God or anything beyond material phenomena. A person who claims neither faith nor disbelief. I don't think I would go with that, um, to be honest, because it kind of sounds a little like a little like postmodern ish of like you know nothing is anything. Like I'm not like morally like I I don't adhere to like moral relativity and stuff um or like it's, moral ambiguity it's just about god though it's just like it's impossible to know whether or not god is real like well, I'm in the middle. Uh, yeah of course it's impossible like it at least i would say so um but i don't know if i identify with like agnostic it's the same thing with like atheism like you kind of see that just with you can see like with evangelicalism people like certain religious people like scoff at non-religious um, you see that with atheism, and that's how pe- some people say, like, atheism is its own religion, in that people kind of get militant with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you see so many atheists, like, Richard Dawkins is kind of a good example, and it's kind of why I don't really like listening to him. Um, or Sam Harris. I love things about Sam Harris, too. Um, but, like, the whole mocking religion, I don't see the value in that. And there's definitely things about religion that could be extremely negative, and historically are, but, like, I don't see atheists mocking spiritual religious people or religious people mocking atheists as a beneficial thing. Um, and I don't think I would identify myself as an atheist. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't think you have to, I don't think, I think you cannot be spiritual and not be religious and identify yourself with atheists. Cause I don't, I don't really honestly think all the time about like, God doesn't exist. God doesn't exist. Like I've never thought to myself, God doesn't exist, but Um, Yeah, I mean, I think on the flip side of that, I think you can be religious and be like, maybe God doesn't exist, or you can be an atheist and be like, 
maybe God does exist. It doesn't have to be a 100% black or white thing. So Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, like, man, life is tough. Like, existence is complex. And uh, that's, like, the, you know, Socratic, like, you know, a little bit of knowledge can kill you type thing. Like, having some sort of, a- of actualization can-, can lead you down some some scary holes and uh yeah like existence is tough and i understand the concept i understand religion and i don't think there's a lot of really really smart people who are way smarter than i'll ever be who are very religious you know and it's also can be a tool for people you know who aren't particularly um like mindful you know it can also serve a tool too i mean it like life is rough dude and it always has been and it's as good as it has ever been ever by magnitudes now i firmly believe that but like you same thing to- with like buddhism like i'm sure you know this like buddhism was created where if you you know attain nirvana you don't have to exist anymore you don't come back because like when it was created and developed and kind of still is like existence is so horrible that you know it's better like heaven in, Buddha, in buddhism is not returning <laughs> that's just um, and that's, that's, that's what a lot profound. of atheists think is just like screw heaven or hell or reincarnation like the oh, there's like a quote but it's something like the atheist idea of heaven is just like non-existence <laughs> like that's heaven to an atheist so but i thought it was interesting what you're saying about atheists like making fun of religion and stuff because that's something like I've experienced some is often when I've seen that it's uh atheists making fun of religion for doing things that they also do or are very well capable of doing yeah, you so, can <laughs> yeah it's just like I think you should make fun of beliefs that are a tool for hatred and being like very dogmatic about things and not being open-minded at all and stuff like that so yeah and you know everybody's a hypocrite to some degree um like it's it's just factual and but that being said you know i think the ideal is to try to minimize the hypocrisy in your life as much as possible with the understanding that it's like lying you know you never you'll never be completely sinful in that regard um yeah it's interesting but uh my whole point with like the whole buddhism thing a religion is like life is hard you know and we're seeing that with our society now like we've made it so easy in a lot of ways that we've made it hard uh, in others when it comes to like actualization or finding meaning and purpose like if you're again if you're starving or in ranger school or whatever like surviving is plenty of purpose you know you have tons of meaning and purpose when you have to figure out where your next meal is coming from that is your purpose and like we're in a culture where we have our own issues too like look at the suicide rate in western societies right or more so like post-industrial societies you know including japan and stuff um and i think that's where religion can come into play like existence is brutal for everybody dude and everybody's gonna die everybody's gonna get sick like horrible things are gonna happen to everyone and so like it can definitely be a tool you sound like mr meeseeks what? You sound like Mr. Meeseeks. <laughs> You're like, existence is pain. 
<laughs> kill me. I don't want to go that far. No. But like with that being said, like if you don't, I think if you don't take a religion, um, finding that the answer that or like your personal answer, that's it's a bitch. You know, that's tough. And uh, like if you don't subscribe to a religion, like finding something to make your life meaningful is it can be very difficult. Um, and a lot of people don't find it and, you know, end up going down very, very bad holes because of it. Like yeah, it's right probably now, partly like why. Go ahead. Like, I'm just saying, like, me right now, like, I'm trying to figure it all out, right? It'd be pretty sweet to just be, like, adhere to some ideology where you just know the answer to your life. Like, that sounds pretty awesome in a lot of ways. Yeah. But I feel like it's not as, like meaningful or rewarding if you've just convinced yourself something and you're done with it like i think i don't know i don't know about that um it's definitely easier and you might say like it's a divergence from the truth but there's a lot of very intelligent people who are atheists and for good reasons and are miserable because of it you know and like if you uphold like adherence to quote-unquote truth as like the number one thing then like yeah maybe adhering to an ideology isn't you know the best thing but man it's like the same thing with like mormonism or whatever like i've had mormons joke about like yeah it's freaking insane but guess what you know i have an awesome family and we're super connected and we have a sweet community and we're great people but it's like that's a lot of utility for yeah for golden tablets you know for joseph smith and that you know that that means something yeah this sounds really cheesy though but like what if the meaning you get out of not blindly following something or like adhering to a strict belief is in the is like the meaning you get from it is in the process of looking for the meaning so like it's not that this is it's just very cliche but it's not the what you end up settling on before you die that gives you that made your life worth living but all the experience you got in looking for that so that's super profound um it's like the exploration that matters and it's the cliche of like it's the journey not the destination yeah i don't like that cliche but i feel like it could be applicable in that sense yeah that's super profound like that search is can be super profound i mean i haven't thought about that before that's awesome and it's like i feel like it wouldn't be profound if you never got anything out of it like if 100% of that search felt like banging your head against a brick wall, then that'd probably not be a good thing. But I feel like in that search, you do get profound moments from it at certain times. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. And you can, um, man, like it's just, it's, it's just a treacherous path, I think. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not for ideology. I think ideology is an off, like almost always a plague. Um, you can look at our society and the ideologies that are just rampant on whatever side of the aisle you choose to be on. Um, but like that being said, like, like what you're talking about is also a treacherous path. You know, there's, you can, what was, what's the quote where it's like, if you stare into the abyss long enough, it stares back or, um, I don't, I think that's paraphrasing, but like, you know, there's a lot of paths that lead to nihilism and nihilism is, is a rough place to be you know 
and can you can also <laughs> avoid it and you can get into like self-actualization and stuff without adhering to an ideology and like i think maybe you and i would agree that's like the ideal um but man there's a lot of people who fall off the path you know i mean look at school shooters or whatever you know you can and not to get political but you can say it's the gun or you can say it's the, a mentally unhealthy person and like i like to think somebody who's willing to shoot up a bunch of children is probably you know has fallen into a path of nihilism and indifference and hatred that rarely a religion uh can cause that sort of chaos and of course you as i say that you can think of plenty of historical or modern examples of that but yeah I definitely I like it's, it's, it's easy to fall into nihilism too yeah definitely like pure like unedited nihilism is very dangerous and i know what you're saying but there's things that are close to nihilism or incorporate nihilism that i think could be like worldviews that you can be a decent person off of like existentialism or even like absurdism and stuff like that like it yeah like nihilism is definitely dangerous but there are things close to it that can make you not kill yourself (laughs) and it comes down to the individual i think my point is just that like that that path is treacherous and i don't know if if i were to play the numbers game what it would be but you know there's a lot of people who who fall off it um and you know it's there's no good system right like religions can be beneficial they can have a ton of utility and they can also religions can create crusades and wars and suicide bombings too like i i agree with you and like i think avoiding ideologies is um is paramount to a healthy society in a lot of ways but also i think the absence of religion might not be the answer it's like what we're seeing nowadays too it's like reason and enlightenment is fantastic um but it's not everything you know as and for every sam harris or whatever that is just like killing it with their reason like (laughs) there's a lot where that that missing piece of religion um creates a creates a living hell too yeah i agree with the last bit of what you're saying i'm not one thing that i differ from is that i'm not necessarily saying to avoid ideology more of just maintain some level of skepticism in whatever ideology you have so if i don't like i think that's like the i think that's a kind of oxymoronic like you i don't think you can adhere to an ideology and be skeptic not Um, like 100 percent devoutly maybe but I don't know. I don't know. There's definitely like a utility. There's definitely like a utility factor, and I'm not particularly utilitarian as it is. But like, and it kind of goes into the concept of like personal truth versus um, objective truth and stuff. It was like, hey, if a belief system provides a bunch of utility to your life, is regardless of how absurd it's based on, like it has a truth to it, um, to itself. I.e., like the awesome Mormon who's got the coolest family ever and is killing it. It's like it doesn't matter necessarily that the golden tablets were or whatever the belief structure is like it's kind of the result that matters so i kind of i definitely get that argument but yeah um ideologies are a bitch to avoid dude like you know we're all so susceptible to um 
cognitive biases and stuff like that lapses in in reason i mean that's why the scientific method is there it's not because scientists are all you know full of reason all the time it's because it's trying to you know divide out the human component to logic because people are just not in it the most logical person the, the socrates is still not particularly logical i don't think um yeah i would just it's interesting stuff if i were saying what you were saying personally i would re- replace the way you use the word ideology with like dogmatism instead More, very similar yeah but uh on topic one of the questions i have down is what makes your life have meaning oh man <laughs> um what is that did you hear that clicking noise is it me typing is it that it stopped no it wasn't that regardless uh what makes my life have meaning Whew, i think about that all the time um really because again like what i was saying like when you don't have when you don't have like a belief structure in place that is kind of just thrust upon you or you choose to accept like you have to create your own meaning and that's that's a bitch dude like that's that can be exhausting um to your point or it can be a great journey i guess um i think you know like the jordan peterson answer to this would be like accepting responsibility creates meaning so like accepting more and more responsibility in your life is how you develop meaning i kind of buy that but also i think it's a lot of more individualist in a lot of ways too of like you know i know what things make me feel good um and that's not necessarily like profound but like I know listening to awesome music makes me feel profound. You know, I know climbing and working a sweat and being outside and getting sun and seeing awesome, you know, mountains and stuff or whatever makes you is a certain meaning in itself. Um, Relationships with awesome people, like developing relationships, maintaining them, like that's a job, you know, for anybody. And I fail at it all the time. Um, But that's super meaningful. Um, meeting new people that are cool, like might sound elitist, but I think most people are kind of a little bit mindless. Um, and I'm trying not to be myself. Like when you, there's tons of awesome people and, you know, getting to know those great people is that's a privilege. That's a, that's fantastic that there's meaning in that. Um, your job can be like meaningful, like you, like providing is a thing. Um, and I think kind of in in my own life, like I'm comfortable enough, like financially and stuff like that, where like providing is no longer a a grind. Um, like I don't have to worry about not eating. So like you kind of, and you see this in our society too, is like, I've already talked about it, but like you lose meaning because of that. Um, so like my job, like right now kind of sucks. It's not fun. It's not interesting. Therefore I'm not getting much utility out of it because just because I'm getting a paycheck, and able to provide for myself, like I don't feel that. I don't go, oh my God, I'm not gonna eat or my family's not gonna eat into, oh, I did this shitty job, but now I can eat. So that's a mean, that's meaning that I'm missing. Um, not saying I wanna be worrying about starving. Um, I'm trying to figure it out. Like, I don't know what this, I don't know of any like profound impactful thing. I think having kids, um, for the vast, vast, vast majority of people is a net beneficial meaning to their lives. Um, I'm not saying, I'm not advocating for living your life vicariously or anything like that, but like 
raising kids sounds incredibly meaningful and I'm looking forward to that, um, you know, in the years to come, um, creating an awesome family. Like that seems crazy meaningful, you know, developing yourself is super meaningful. Like you can always be healthier and healthier, like happier, you know, doing interesting things, like making yourself more knowledgeable, like fighting for that wisdom. Cause it is, it's a fight. Um, and those also kind of seem like a bunch of little things, but I think added together and compounded, it can create a life of meaning. But that's something I struggle with. Um, it's much easier to like be a, you know, crusader for God or something. And like, and you see that with anything you see that, like, I think I'd imagine the average ISIS member feels like they have more meaning in their life than I do. I would guess probably all of them do, um, as perverse as it is. I'm trying to figure out that meaning. I kind of liked your, I'll have to chew over it a little more, but I kind of like the concept of like the search for meaning is the meaning itself. It's a little bit, uh, myth of Sisyphus-y, <laughs> but, uh, Sisyphus. yeah, I, I didn't realize that and it just popped into my head, but, uh, yeah, all, all those things are definitely like really good and beneficial. You mentioned, not liking your job though and i feel like many people in america probably don't like their job uh do you think you have the capability to make your job more meaningful than it feels like it is right now without making it more grandiose than it actually is yeah i don't think i I don't think so right now at the moment so like i don't like my job at the moment like what i'm doing right now I've, I've liked my job before, you know, um, lying to yourself. Like there's, there's such thing as kind of like manipulating yourself in a healthy manner. And there's like lying to yourself. Right. So like, I've tried to manipulate my situation in my mind to the best point possible. Um, but like, I don't, I don't want to get to tip over to the point of lying to myself about the situation. Right. Um, like for these next few months, I'm kind of like leaving or living, job wise as like a means to an end. So like I'm looking for, I'm looking forward to my next job a lot. Um, so like this period is like a means to an end, but like living for a means to an end itself is not great either. I don't think. Um, so I'm trying to supplement that with other things, whether like I'm studying for the GMAT to give myself an option to get out if I want to. So like that's meaningful. Um, trying to go hiking all the time, get some sun, like get tan, be healthy, like that's meaningful. So I'm trying to supplement it. Um, But like, it goes back to like that knowledge concept of like gaining knowledge is itself a battle, but also having knowledge can be brutal too. Right. And so like, it's the same thing with the army is like a lot of the army is like, this is just my opinion, but like a lot of the army is kind of BS um, and not very meaningful. And it's like, it's great to be in that aspect and not know any better that there's other stuff, whether it's in the army itself or the military itself, that's like, wow, that's, that's some wild stuff. And I've always been the person who wants to chase the wild stuff. Um, but going from like, you know, a cadoodle at West Point, not knowing any better and thinking my, you know, lame situation was profound and like meaningful, like that's bliss. That's a bliss. It's a bliss in ignorance, but like, I mean, it's, there's a reason why it's the same, it's the same right? Um, 
like for me, it's kind of like you see this a lot in the military of like very high achievers. They keep on trying to progress and do something cooler and cooler or more hardcore and more hardcore. It's kind of like a druggie. Um, because like if you take a step back, if you do something that's super cool or you even go into combat or whatever, like it's hard to chase that situation. You know, combat's a good example. Like combat's a freaking drug. I've never done cocaine, but like I'd imagine that's what it's like you know, when everything goes well, like you feel like a guy, it's hard to, it's hard to go back from like a cocaine high back into the regular world and be like, Oh, this is sick. You know, and it's the same thing with my job now. Like I've had really, really cool ones and really, really awesome opportunities. And so like, when you go, when you start here, you only know, you only know here, you don't know anything else exists. And then when you get the opportunity or do something where you realize this exists, going back to here, not even the bottom, but like here, it's like that much worse, yeah. you know? Cause you're like, oh, this is bullshit. Like I know what it can be. I know what's going on. Um, but I don't know if that's like a healthy way to live. Cause I see a, like a bunch of people, you know, in like the army world, it's like infantrymen and then ranger qualified infantrymen and they have to chase that and go special forces and they have to chase that and try to go Delta force. And they have to chase that and try to go CIA ground branch or whatever. And like, chasing the dragon i don't know if is is uh that feels like a trap um that doesn't it's it can be like very motivating but it feels like a trap i know i just ramble but like does any of that make sense no totally like yeah especially that last part you said about feeling like a trap uh i feel like this is kind of stupid because i'm not very good at doing the advice i'm about to give but like i feel like for a decent portion of my life whenever i'm not content in where i am at the moment i'm always trying to like plan something in the future or whatnot so like uh like in high school when i was just like sick of it i'd always be like planning the next uh bike thing like bike trip or whatever and all that stuff and then i'd spend like hours making a google doc and then it wouldn't even like work out and stuff and it's just like really stupid but i'm trying to like teach myself to be like once again it's cliche but like being present and finding meaning in that because like for sure say like papa john's for example like kind of objectively meaningless if that papa john's burned down like a couple people would be sad for a week, but like, doesn't really matter. Still get insurance, yeah. Like, and still good. Yeah, yeah, it's just like it's it's freaking pizza. Like, who the heck cares? But so if you look at it only like that, then it's tempting to just be like working there and just being like, oh, I can't wait to go out to eat after this or like do this bike trip and just like not be doing whatever it takes to not be there. But I feel like it's even more meaningful to just like accept that's that is your position in life and decide to be present in it and i feel like that in itself creates a decent bit of meaning because if i'm like find myself focusing on making pizzas and trying to be content in that i feel way better than i do at the end of a shift thinking about where I want to go bike next the entire time. So absolutely. Yeah. 
no, I love your concept. I, I love your idea of like the presence and like appreciating the moment. Like I love that idea. And that's kind of goes into meditation. I'm trying to do that more. Um, I don't know if I, by like the accepting your situation thing, um, cause I think it goes back to like competition or whatever, like wanting to do better is a great thing, you know, like wanting to improve your, like there's one thing of like accepting your situation, which is good in itself too, but also I don't see anything wrong with wanting to improve your situation as well. Most definitely. Um, I'm not saying like if you're in a subpar like situation, yeah. then just like give up. It's more of like, don't focus only on the future. Like if you're in a specific place right now, not like a broad life place, but like if you're doing a podcast, like go all in, don't, be like thinking about other stuff yeah and you know that going all in mindset is how you succeed um because the world is competition and like the only way you can succeed like i'm sure with podcasts you know that there's probably millions of people opening them trying to be the next joe rogan you know like i no one will ever be the next joe rogan if they don't go all in and what they're doing you know um but like i get so like what you're saying is kind of like have aspirations and ambitions that's great but also be present in the, in like be mindful in the, the present moment as well. Yeah. The day to day. Kind of what you're saying. Yeah. No, I buy that. And like, you know, it kind of comes down to is like what I was saying earlier is like, we don't have, we, we've probably spent millennia with the inherent, um, meaningfulness of like next meal, not starve, not get eaten, not get, you know, murdered by the next tribe over. Um, and so like our, our meaning for like probably the vast majority of human, you know, existence has been already like inscribed to us. Um, and we're, we're living like thankfully in a lot of ways in this, in this, uh, situation where we, we have to dig a little deeper for that meaning. And you're seeing the ramifications of that across society as well. And hopefully it's just like growing pains, you know? Um, yeah, I buy that. It's interesting, but like at the same time too, like I have a hard time personally, and this is like a flaw of my own. It's like, I see the dudes and dudettes in my, like, so I have to do mandatory training now, right? Everybody in the army has to do this training or every officer. And it's just like the guys who haven't had the opportunity to do many things, accept the current situation and the BS of this training much, much easier than the guys who have had the opportunity to do some badass shit and then now find themselves in this mandatory situation. Um, and what I'm doing and what I'm failing in is I'm going like, screw this. Like, you know, I shouldn't have to do this mandatory stuff. And like in reality, maybe in like a best case scenario, maybe I shouldn't have to, right. Maybe it is a flaw of like just the bureaucracy that is the army. I'd make a good argument for it. But like to your point, like spending the next five months, um, you know, miserable and hated in existence is not, not good for anybody. So yeah, I'll like take that, that into consideration. That's definitely it. What you're saying of like going from like the high bar to like back down is makes perfect sense. It's like if I'm to go on a bike trip to New Zealand and then come back and be making pizzas, like, yeah, obviously it's totally normal to be like, why the heck am I doing this? But I think it's but it's not good for anyone. Yeah, it's just it just makes it harder. And yeah. and that's why you always hear like the vacation lows, like the post vacation low, right? <laughs> like I understand why it's a thing. 
Um, I'm just I'm I'm kind of failing to avoid it right now, but I'll do try to do better. Um, and, you know, I don't think I don't I don't want to live my life chasing a high, you know. And it's doable, dude. Like you you want to know why addiction's a thing? Like it's hard to go back. Like it's hard. Like for every time, especially if you have like the proclivity based on your uh, um, good lord, what's the word? Personality. Like if you have the proclivity based on your personality too, like it's hard not to want to keep chasing the rabbit. Um, But I've seen a lot of people, a lot of great people and super, super capable, competent people chase the rabbit and get burned because of it. Um, Well, thanks for teaching me something. (laughs) I'll definitely think about it. I like that. I don't don't feel like I deserve the you saying that I taught you something because I'm very bad at doing it myself. <laughs> ah, bullshit. Still doesn't mean it isn't true. <laughs> uh, do you want to end on one more question? Hopefully it's not sure. too dark. Yeah, I'm getting hungry. <laughs> it's like freaking 1030 here. I'm taking very long to form sentences because my brain shuts off after like nine. You're starting to sound like Lex Friedman. <laughs> Just rambling? Just kind of slow. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I feel very slow uh last question though is what harsh truths do you choose to ignore oh my god do you always end these podcasts with this no i'm pretty sure i ended kelsey's with something like why do you like henry (laughs) oh my god you were just like oh i don't want to talk about my history i want to have like a conversation uh ends his with like do you think about death or something (laughs) i like that i need to do that now Say the question one more time. Sorry. Uh, what harsh truths do you choose to ignore? <sighs> <laughs> We're just talking about ignorance is bliss, so. Yeah. Um, I think I have two. Um, I think they're probably pretty common, if I were to guess. I think. Like, the first one is, like, you know, when you're a kid and you, like, the first person that you know dies or whatever, whether it's, like, a grandparent or whatever, um, death, like, smacks you in the face and you just, like, can't sleep at night for weeks or whatever and you're, like, eight years old and you're, like, oh, my God, oh, my God, death, death, death. Like, ah, this is horrible. I'm freaking out. Existential crisis. Um, I haven't thought about death recently a lot. Um and like, if you want to talk about realities, man, like that's it, it's going to happen. And like, have you ever read meditations, Marcus Aurelius? No, it's about as good as it gets. Um, I'm obviously not original in saying that, but like he, he breaks down like his views on death a lot. Um, and I think they're pretty damn profound. But like, yeah, if you don't think talking about things that I, I ignore or whatever, like I don't think about death that often. Um, and thinking about it can actually be super motivated. Like I know examples of people who do contemplate it all the time and it's like fantastic motivation to like not waste the moment, like what you're talking about and having presence. Um, so yeah, I like might be a little cheesy, but like, I think, you know, thinking about death more often is not necessarily a bad thing. And that's something I kind of ignore sometimes. Um, even like even in combat like i think that's kind of where you learn it too it's like you can't think about it and it's almost nihilistic in a way in its own way but like you can't think about it or else you're paralyzed 
and then that habit can kind of like trickle down i mean i bet um, the military doesn't want to train you into thinking about it often because then how are you going to be it. from my experience there's no training for or against it yeah like um, how and actually to be honest most of the military doesn't hardly even have a chance of ever encountering it like in a military capacity like if we're being honest but most if you were to be thinking, like, like most military are like taking making like tiktok videos and shit <laughs> <laughs> but if you were to be an effective fighter you can't be like weighed down by thinking about that that's true or at least just and paralyzed I think by i think it. that's just kind of like figured out um as an individual i don't well, what i'm saying is i don't think the military plays an active role um as an institution in like brainwashing you to not think about death or anything yeah but yeah you're absolutely right um i'd say that also maybe just to add to that is like one thing that i think is like a a comforting comforting ignorance and not to sound like a prepper but like society is fucking fragile um and we're doing okay now right like a riot here and there or whatever or the covid pandemic or the winter you know chaos that was in texas like these are all like pretty standard examples um like with riots like people you know the riots weren't great or anything and stuff like that but it's not it's not the worst it's ever been you know um like the la riots were way worse in 1990 you know or the cincinnati riots or any of these um but like society is fragile and it's super 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 difficult to build things up let alone a society very easy to tear it down um and that's something i kind of i take for granted sometimes is like dude like this this i know it's not a utopia and i know america has tons of problems that people are just if anything hyper aware of but like we need i think we need to realize that it is very easy to tear it all down and this this institution that we've created that is as close to paradise as humanity has ever gotten to and like i think that's a factual statement as flawed as it is like it could be torn down you know um and i think it can be easily torn down and not saying you know buy some beans and bullets or whatever and get a bunker but like i think i think it could do us as a nation and the world even like some good in recognizing that like not taking things for granted in what society has even human achievement has been able to progress to where we're at and yeah it's got the prop like the same thing like not being able like not starving and worrying about your next meal you know has got its problems but goddamn, it's a luxury you know um so yeah i don't think about that often really when it comes to like society either and its fragility but yeah. cool any uh closing statement or parting remarks no i uh just hope this never gets to millions of you so I don't look like an idiot to too many people. <laughs> well, you're in a yeah, lot. thanks for having me. <laughs> cool. Well, I love you. Thanks for joining. <laughs> love you too. Yeah, it was a blast. Let's do it again. Yeah, for sure. Cool. See you soon. See ya. Bye. All right. That was Case and Best. Thank you for listening to the Koi Tank Podcast.